I saw a movie today that I just cannot figure out. And I'm looking online. I think a lot of other people are having trouble figuring it out, too. But nobody's watching that movie right now. At this very moment, as I record this, I know what everybody in the world is doing except for me. How do I know what everybody in the world is doing right now except for me? I'll tell you on today's podcast, take a shower, show up on time, and don't steal anything. Let's get started. You know, I just realized I get a big smile on my face as I do this podcast because I really do like doing the podcast. I didn't do one last week because honestly, sometimes I just don't have enough to make a decent podcast. I could do one for five minutes, but you know, who wants to listen to a podcast for five minutes? I don't know. Maybe that would be a good thing. Um, I think they say podcast should be close to an hour. That seems a little bit long to me because when I go out for a walk or a run um, and I'm listening to like a murder podcast, um, an hour seems a little bit long to me. So I'm going to keep mine probably around 20 minutes is probably going to what I'm shooting for. So why do I know? How do I know what everybody is doing right now except for me? I'll give you a clue. You might listen to this in the middle of June on a Saturday morning at 6, or you might listen to this tomorrow night at midnight, but right now it is Sunday night, it's April 14th, and it's 2019. Sunday night, April 14th, 2019. The entire world, except for me, is watching Game of Thrones. And that's great. I don't watch Game of Thrones. I've never been into Game of Thrones. I probably would like it a little bit if I watched it, but I just am not attracted to shows with dragons and spells and medieval things. I don't get turned on by the Renaissance Festival and fairies and princes and kings and things like that. I like the Renaissance Festival because it's fun to walk around and see the shows and eat turkey legs. But I've never been into Game of Thrones, and I just it's just not the kind of show that I would watch. But people seem to love, well, not seem to, they do love this show. I, knew, I know that Fallon and Steve from our morning show and uh, Tina and Jenny are all watching Game of Thrones right now uh, because they love it. And I think Tina's at a Game of Thrones party, and Steve is like, you know, setting aside all of his time so he could watch it, et cetera, et cetera. And I know people who have been like binge watching the last week or so to kind of like get caught up a little bit uh, to find out what's going on during the last season of Game of Thrones. So here's what I have to say about that um, I'm glad that Game of Thrones is realizing they can't keep stretching it out forever, that they had to keep going with the plot and making it good and, and surprises and killing off people. Um, they, and I guess they say that nobody's safe on Game of Thrones um, because if they didn't, it would just kind of be doing the show to do the show. And I always hearken back to the show Lost, which I love sci-fi. I love a good sci-fi movie. Um I love Twilight Zone, the best uh, sci-fi stories of all time because they start normally, they get really freaky, they stay freaky, and then there's a twist at the end, but then they solve everything as much as they can solve in a half an hour. Some Twilight Zones were an hour. But the thing with Lost was it sucked me in with such a great premise. They're on the island. They don't know what these numbers mean. And there's distant sounds. And there's grizzly bears. And there's some other weird things. And you're going, oh my gosh, this is so good. What's going to happen? And uh, two or three seasons in, you're like, okay, wow, this is really getting good. And then you started to realize they had no 
fucking clue what they were doing as far as the plot and where the writing, the direction was going. And the reason for that was, in my humble opinion, and I think it's right, is that if they would have brought the show to resolution in a proper, timely manner, um, it would have killed their cash cow. So they would have stopped making money on it. It's kind of like, you know, Fallon gives me a hard time because my jokes are so long and I pride myself on my super long jokes. Not really. Um, but a joke should be equal to its payoff. So a joke's length should be equal to its payoff. That's why knock-knock jokes are so short because they're not very funny. But if they were funnier, they could be longer. Um, that's why riddles or puns are so short because they're not funny. So they can, if they were funny, they could be longer. Therefore, a TV show, wouldn't you agree, it can stretch on for season after season if it's good like Game of Thrones. But that's the problem with Lost, is by the time they got to the last season, there was no way to write themselves out of the hole they had written themselves into. So now I'm going to talk about a show that I just saw today, and it kind of puzzled me a little bit. I want to ask you about this one. The show, uh, it's a movie called Us, and it's a Jordan Peele movie written, produced, and directed by Jordan Peele. Now, Jordan Peele is, I mean super mega successful. Nobody can argue with that. Um, but I, I was so confused by the movie and I actually went online and there's like a whole like Buzzfeed or Reddit thread about all of the, not plot holes, but things that don't make sense in the movie. Now I'll give you a little spoiler alert here. Spoiler alert. Um, I don't want you to miss the rest of the podcast, but I'm just going to give you a heads up, a spoiler alert. If you ever want to see the movie, uh, this or the movie Us, not This Is Us. Um, there's just some things in there that they just don't explain or they just don't seem to make sense. Um, and for example, there's one part where she cuts the head off of a stuffed bunny. What does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with forwarding, make, moving the plot forward? Um, the bunnies are all over in the movie. What do the bunnies have to do with anything in the plot? And uh, uh, where did these people come from? Where did they get all this red material? What does Hands Across America have to do with any of it? And it's really weird because, you know, so many people are so young they don't remember Hands Across America, which is featured kind of prominently in the movie as something that's kind of like eerie and almost sinister. And my daughter, Allison, and I watched the movie together, and she's like, Dad, what was Hands Across America? And I explained to her what it was and how it seemed that the link to the movie was was really almost nothing. Um, so Hands Across America was an idea right after We Are the World, the, the whole we are the world, we are the children about the starving kids in Africa. So a year later in 1986, somebody hit upon the idea to have people hold hands from coast to coast and form one long continuous line from San Francisco to New York, I think it was. And so the day came and it got a lot of hype. And I remember a lot of people, you know, were on TV talking about it and we were on the radio talking about it and it was going to be a really big deal. Well, here's the problem. And nobody really anticipated this, but it definitely made sense that it happened this way. In the cities where there were thousands of people willing and close to the route for Hands Across America, there were too many people. So imagine... Imagine being downtown Minneapolis and you're there for Hands Across America and you park at the, you know, the Macy's parking garage or the Target Center parking ramp, whatever, and you get out of your car along with thousands of other people. Well, 
once you hold hands and spread out, if you really spread out, you're going to be about 14 miles away from where you parked your car. So there were way too many people in the cities and nobody would stretch out. So they basically formed rows of people holding hands. However, out in the, the sticks, out in the prairies, you know, in, I don't know, Olivia, Minnesota, there were maybe only 50 people that showed up. So they could hold hands across, you know, a block of Olivia, but certainly not all the way linking to Minnesota. So the idea kind of fell through, um, but it was it was a good thought. I don't know really how much follow through that it did to make people want to, you know, feed starving people in Africa. But Hands Across America was one of those things kind of like New Coke. And if you don't remember what New Coke is, New Coke was Coca-Cola's idea to change the classic old Coke formula and make it new Coke, which people would love more than Pepsi, and Coca-Cola would finally win the Cola Wars, and people hated it. So there were just certain ideas in the 80s and probably all through history that people thought would be a really good idea, and Hands Across America was one of those. What in the hell it had to do with the movie Us, I have no idea. But if you see the movie and you can figure out the ending or you can figure out anything about what the movie is trying to say, then let me know because apparently the entire internet either doesn't get it or is just taking some shots in the dark is what it could be. But anyway, um, uh, we saw that this weekend. We also um, saw uh, The Beatles' Reign at the State Theater. I love The Beatles. Um, They're amazing. I can't believe that like 22, 24-year-old kids wrote those amazing songs that they wrote back in the day. It's genius. I mean, just unparalleled genius. You think of a song like Yesterday that Paul McCartney wrote in his sleep. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. That song. Um, uh, Forgive my singing. I'm just doing it so you'll know what song I'm I'm talking about. Um, And that's just one of dozens of amazing, beautiful songs. So we went to see that last night. Um, and then what else? Steve and some members of my band, some friends of mine have been doing a fitness challenge on our Apple watch and you can share your information with other people on your Apple watch and see what they have been doing. And, uh, Steve works out a lot. And my friend Kelly, she's been training for a half marathon and she works out a lot. I've been doing probably about four or five miles on the treadmill every day for a week. And uh, I love it, but I also kind of would just like a little break once in a while. That leads me to one of the things I was going to bring up today on take a shower, show up on time and don't steal anything is the fact that we always try to like, you know, share some information that I have learned that I can share with you so you can learn from my mistakes or from mistakes of other people. So that's kind of what the podcast is all about. And one of my chapters is about working out. And I, I bring this up because I was on Facebook Live last week and somebody said, well, you know, Dave, you know, you're on the treadmill. I admire you for being on the treadmill. I hate working out. I hate going to the gym. I hate being on the treadmill. What can I do? And I said, I don't blame you. I said, there's so many people that have the same problem. Um, You've got to find an exercise that you love. Some people hate running. Some people hate going to the gym. I don't always like going to the gym because to me... I don't like, uh, there's one for me. I don't like lifting weights. It's painful and it's uncomfortable. And I don't like getting the, 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 the shakes when I'm trying to push that last, you know, whatever, um, lift, whatever. I, I don't like doing it. I, it's, it's painful. And I, so if that was the only way to work out, 
was lifting weights, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't do it. But I like to run because I can see myself progress and get stronger. And I can challenge myself to maybe take five seconds off of a five-mile run or a minute off of a five-mile run or whatever it is. Maybe see if I can go a little bit faster. Maybe put a little bit of an incline on the treadmill. So my point is, if you are having trouble finding motivation to work out or finding an exercise that you like, well, then keep trying different ones. Maybe it's going to be tennis. Maybe it's going to be yoga. Maybe it's going to be Pilates. Whatever it is, keep trying until you find something that you like. Some people swear by yoga. Some people swear by swimming. I can't swim very well, so if my exercise was only going to be swimming, I couldn't do it. I'd rather run in place than go swimming. And running in place sucks. So here's a little tip for you. If you want to do something at home and you don't have the money for a gym membership and you don't have the money for you know uh, Peloton, which that's another story, uh, there's a little stair stepper that I got and um, I got it on Amazon for about $89 and it's just a little tiny thing about the size of, it'd be about, it has about the footprint size of a cookie sheet. And it's got two little steps on it, and you basically step up and down on it. You can control the tension, and I think it's called an, mm, what's it called? You know what? If you really want to know, send me an email, or I'll post it on Facebook. That's what I'll do. I'll post it on Facebook under Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Yes, we do have a Facebook page. Peloton. Um, uh, Fallon got one, and she seems to be really happy with it, but... I was laughing at somebody who was reviewing a Peloton and they said, this is the stupidest shit of all time. Um, uh, You are basically suckered into riding on a stationary bicycle with somebody who is trying to inspire you. Um, uh, And I said, well, doesn't that work? I mean, I I would think that works. And they said, you have been suckered into buying at a very expensive exercise bicycle. Um, Fallon seemed like hers, but I don't know if she still uses it or not. I mean, if she doesn't use it, she's got a pretty good excuse in that she's pregnant. But of course, you can still exercise when you're pregnant. I've known people who have run. Susan ran, I think, right up until like maybe the eighth month when she was pregnant with Carson. Um, Okay, Carson, my son, speaking of Carson, is moving away to Berkeley and Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And this is a really hard one for me because I've been around kids and raising kids since I was, believe it or not, 19 years old. That's when I had my first kid. And I'll be completely candid with you. I was not that involved with Beth's life until she was about nine years old. Her mom lived in a different town. Uh, I lived in Columbus. Um, we didn't have any money to to fly to see each other, and we just really weren't a big part of each other's lives. When she was nine years old, then I was. But um, my point is, ever since I was about, mm, I'd say for probably close to 30 years now, I have had a kid. I've had a kid that was my little girl or my little boy, and now Carson's 18 and he's moving away. So I'm going to try to read to you this um, thing that I found on Facebook, and I'll share this too on Facebook. And it's all about kids moving away from home, written from the perspective of a mom who has seen her kid move away from home. And here we go. It's long, but I think it's worth it. Stay with me. Uh, Here we go. It's not a death and it's not a tragedy, but it's not nothing either. 
I feel like this little boy walked out the door today, not the fine young man we've raised. Today is hard, very hard. I wasn't wrong about their leaving. My husband kept telling I kept telling me I was. That wasn't the end of the world when first one child, then another, and then the last packed their bags and left for college. But it was the end of something. Can you pick me up, Mom? What's for dinner? What do you think? I was the sun and they were the planets. And there was life on those planets, whirling nonstop plans and parties and friends coming and going and ideas and dreams and the phone ringing and door slamming. And I got to beam down on them to watch, to glow. And then they were gone, one after the other. They'll be back, my husband said. And he was right. They came back. But he was wrong, too, because they came back for intervals. Not for always. Not planets anymore, making their predictable orbits, but unpredictable like shooting stars. Always is what you miss. Always knowing where they are at school, at play practice, at a ball game, at a friend's always looking at the clock midday and anticipating the door opening, the sigh, the smile, the laugh, the shrug, how was school, answered for years in too much detail. And then he said, and then I said to him, and then hardly answered at all. Always knowing his friends, her favorite show, what he had for breakfast, what she wore to school, what he thinks, how she feels. My friend Beth's twin girls left for Roger Williams yesterday. They are her fourth and fifth children. She's been down this road three times before. You would think it would get easier. She said, I don't know what I'm going to do without them. She has said this every day for months. And I have said nothing, really, because what is there to say? A chapter ends. Another chapter begins. One door closes and another door opens. The best thing a parent can give their child is wings. I read all these things when my children left home and thought then what I think now. What do these words mean? 18 years isn't a chapter in anyone's life. It's a whole book, and that book is ending. And what comes next is connected to but different from everything that has gone before. Before was an infant, a toddler, a child, a teenager. Before was feeding and changing and teaching and comforting and guiding and disciplining. Everything hands-on. Now? Now the kids are young adults and on their own. And the parents are on the periphery. And it's not just a chapter change, it's a sea change. As for a door closing, would you, uh, would that you could, what, that doesn't make sense, would that you could close a door and forget for even a minute your children and your love for them and your fear for them too? And would that they occupy just a single room in your head, but they're in every room in your head and in your heart? As for the wings analogy, it's sweet, but children are not birds. Parents don't let them go and build another nest and have new offspring next year. Saying goodbye to your children and their childhood is much harder than all the pithy sayings make it seem. Because that's what going to college is. It's goodbye. It's not a death and it's not a tragedy. But it's not nothing either. To grow a child, a body changes. It needs more sleep. It rejects food it used to like. It expands and it adapts. To let go of a child, a body changes too. It sighs and it cries and it feels the weightless and it feels weightless and heavy at the same time. The drive home without them is the worst and the first few days, but then it gets better. The kids call, come home, bring their friends, fill the house with their energy again. Life does go on. Can you give me a ride to the mall, Mom? Mom, make him stop. I don't miss that part of parenting, playing chauffeur and referee, but I miss them still all these years later, the children they were 
at the dinner table, beside me on the couch, talking on the phone, sleeping in their rooms, safe, home, mine. Whoa, can I just tell you, um, it was hard for me to get through that without tearing up and choking up a little bit because that is kind of where I am right now. I'm going to paste that, post that on my Facebook page so you can take a look. Even if you don't have a kid that is going to school or getting close to going to school, um, one day they will. And then my book, there's a great poem that I wrote called One Day. And I think I shared it on the podcast not too long ago, so I won't bore you with that again. Here is what I am going to share with you before we wrap things up on the podcast, uh, and that is chapter number 86. I always like to share a chapter of my book, uh, Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything, which is available everywhere um, on Amazon. It is on Kindle, and you can get it at Itasca Books as well as your local um, uh, uh, bookstore. Chapter number 86, Other People Aren't Watching Us As Much As We Think. Have you ever had a giant, ugly pimple on your face, one that made you embarrassed to be seen in public? You've even mentioned it to a friend. God, I got this ugly zit on my forehead, and it's huge. Your friend replies honestly, oh, I didn't even notice it. It's amazing how much we worry about what other people are thinking about us. It's only natural, really, because we all want to be seen as attractive. I've realized that other people just aren't paying attention to us. Why? Because they're all too busy worrying about what other people think of them. When my daughter was about 14, she couldn't even run to Target if her hair was out of place or if she's wearing a ratty shirt. I tried to tell her nobody was paying any attention, but she wasn't having it. Not long ago, I was having lunch with an acquaintance who has a slight speech problem. Later, he told a mutual friend, Dave must have thought I was an idiot because my speech was really bad when I was talking to him. Nope, not a chance. I didn't even notice because I was too busy worrying what he thought of me. Think about that. Uh, there's a great quote floating around from an unknown author. It goes like this. When you're 20, you care what everyone thinks. When you're 40, you stop caring what everyone thinks. When you're 60, you realize no one was ever thinking about you in the first place. Hey, listen, I don't know if that's entirely true. I think that somewhere along the line, people were thinking about you because we definitely tend to do that. But I think it is kind of a good lesson in that we think everybody's like, oh, my God, I got to get a haircut. I look like crap or I haven't put on any makeup today. I look terrible or I've got this zit on the end of my nose or on my forehead and people are going to judge me on it. You know what? For the most part. Not really. Not really. Hey, listen, we got up to about 22 minutes on the podcast today. I think that's probably enough for now. Um, I'm going to update the Facebook page, which has not been updated in a while. I will put that picture of that elliptical on there so you can check that out. And I will also share that, um, that little piece about your kid leaving for college because I think that is worthwhile as well. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Um, send me an email to Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. And um, like I said, check out the Facebook page. And I know I've been telling you every week to rate the podcast. And it occurred to me, I don't know how to tell you how to rate the podcast. So Fallon and Steve and I have been trying to dig around a little bit. Let me see if they texted me back here to see how you indeed rate a podcast. Um, and it looks like Fallon found a way to do it, or Steve did. Um, so I will see if I can figure that out instead of wasting your time right now. Okay. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend about the podcast. If you know somebody who listens to the show and might enjoy it, I would appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. Okay, hey, wait. A final footnote. I just found out 
where and how to rate the podcast, you scroll all the way to the bottom. So, for example, if you're in the iTunes store and you find my podcast, you know, tap on the um, the, the title, take a shower, show up on time, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, you scroll when you get the episodes and more episodes, you go all the way to the bottom. It takes forever to scroll all the way down there. And then there it is. It says, um, uh, we got five out of five stars. That's pretty good. 96 ratings. So then it says tap to rate. Um, so... Uh, go ahead and rate the podcast. I would appreciate it. That would mean the world to me. All right. Now I'm done. I promise. We'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh